Have you found your place in Ephesians chapter number 4? All right. So let's start our reading this morning in chapter 4, verse number 7, and we'll read down through verse number 16. Now, y'all a little quiet this morning, and um, I need y'all just to kind of help me out, say amen every once in a while, oh me, and kind of be like Sister Barbara Weaver, help him Jesus, throw one of them in every once in a while, it'd be fine. Uh, but verse number 7, but unto every one of us is given grace. According to the measure of the gift of Christ, wherefore he saith, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. Now, in parentheses, you see in the next two verses, now that he ascended, what is it but that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth? He that descended is the same also that ascended up far above all heavens, that he might fill all things. And... Uh, He gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of of Christ. That we henceforth be no more children, tossed to and fro, and carried about with every wind of doctrine, by the slight of men, and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love, may grow up into him in all things, which in is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body, fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the good singing that we've had. God, we thank you for the spirit that we felt in the songs. Now we ask you that you would extend that into your word. Father, we could come into your house and we could do nothing but lift up your word. And Father, I believe that we would be right in doing that. But Lord, we try our best, Lord, to prime our hearts, Lord, with music and and with these words that are written on these pages, Lord, to, to get our hearts ready for worship, Lord. But the truth remains that we should be ready for worship before we ever get here. God, we ask you that you would help our hearts, Lord, in, in this time of prayer, Lord, to, to get to that point where we need to be so that we can understand and so that we can enjoy the Word of God, so that we can glean what needs to be gleaned this morning from, from your message, from this, these words that will be spoken here. Father, we pray that you'd help your people today, encourage us, strengthen us, Lord, we do pray that you would challenge us. And, Lord, where it needs to be, I pray that conviction would fall. Father, we thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to preach on this thought. And uh, if you maybe have taken notes, this may be a familiar thought. Uh, I told you last week that uh, there was a message that I preached back in 2020. And this one, too, was from 2020. Uh, but I've spent the last week or so trying to, to, to move some things around, to rework it. And, and so, uh, because the message seems to be so pertinent now, uh, in relation to the series that I'm going through, and that is the marks of maturity. The marks of maturity is our title today. 
And I find it interesting that today, um, I'm preaching on this because over the last several weeks, and I don't have the titles that, that Brother Samuel has taught in the last few weeks, but uh, last week he, he taught at least on this thought, how to be a man, a godly man, a man of God, and something along those lines. Uh, today, at least by thought, he mentioned those mighty men of God. And then I think back several years ago, um, I've preached on these message titles, the kind of men God needs, uh, then the kind of men God makes, and then I preached one message entitled, Men on Fire. And so it seems to me that, that any time God begins to speak uh, or to preach or to move in a church about maturity, He has to first deal with it amongst the men. And now you ladies would say, ain't that right, preacher, because our men are a bunch of sissies. You, you, you ladies could probably say amen. You've seen us sick and you see how feeble we are when we're sick. But, uh, regardless of that, the responsibility of spiritual maturity is not upon our children and is not upon our wives, but it's upon the men of our homes and of our church. And so, um, I found it interesting this morning as Brother Samuel was teaching that uh, he has been dealing with men and then those thoughts came to my mind. But but what in Christianity, what, what makes a Christian different? Well, one, it begins with a birth, not a ceremony. I was talking to someone just the other day about a uh, a, a baby dedication. And uh, I think it was maybe Braylon, maybe in, uh, in in a Bible class or something. I don't remember. Uh, but there are so many people in, in religion that thinks that salvation comes with sprinkling or with some sort of uh, uh, maybe even water baptism. Maybe maybe uh, your child is baptized at an early age, but if there is no uh, repentance and there is no drawing, somebody help me now, there is no drawing of the Holy Ghost, that child can be baptized till it knows every minnow by name that's in that pond and all he's going to be is wet. Somebody help me right there. And so... Uh, we we tend to in our society we think Christianity uh, is brought on by some ceremony, but in in our faith we understand, and by the word of God we understand that to be a Christian is not brought on by some ceremony or some some religious act, but it is to be brought on by being born again. And God's plan is, and I'll say this over and over again throughout this series, is you are born, or there's that birth to be born again, and then you are to grow, but then you are to mature. And every one of us have the natural innate ability to mature physically, but we also have that ability to do so spiritually. But spiritually, that is so oftentimes stunted because of what we are given or because what we accept. What I mean by that is sometimes what we are given behind the pulpit or what we're given uh, behind maybe in a Sunday school room or something like that, all it is is just the, the most simple things and, and all it is you're just you're just barely getting just just hard to get anything and so all you know is just a little bit, a little bit, a little bit, but you never grow spiritually. On the flip side of that thing is you never have a desire, a hunger to get anything more. 
We were talking to somebody the other day, and they were talking about a bologna sandwich. And, and I, I'm all for a fried bologna sandwich. It ain't got to be fried, but a good bologna sandwich. But I would trade you a thousand bologna sandwiches for a good steak. Somebody say amen right there. Because, listen to me, I've already tasted, I'm about to run. I've already tasted the steak, and the bologna sandwich does not compare. And so in our spiritual lives, I've tasted the meat that comes from the Word of God. And though sometimes I need to be refreshed by the milk of the Word, I need something more than just that. So then we mention those indications of infancy, that infants spiritually, they're concerned with self, they're concerned with argument, they're concerned with man. But now, how do we recognize Christian maturity? Number one this morning is the mature Christian has a mission. If you'll look back with me at our text, verse number 11 and verse number 12, it says, And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for, verse number 12, for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. And so the perfecting here, and we see it in verse number 12, the perfecting is defined by James Strong as to completely furnish or to equip some, equip someone. Um, Robert Young said that it is to make small adjustments. Uh, Marvin Vincent, in his Vincent Word Pictures, he says, This word, perfecting, it is it pictures the refitting of a ship or the setting of a bone. You bring that ship up out of the water so you can see it in its entirety. And you look and you see that everything is okay, but there's some minor, some minor discrepancies. There's some problems here. Maybe the keel is not just right. Maybe the rudder is not just right. Maybe, uh, maybe the propeller is rusted. Maybe there's a, a dent here. Maybe there's a hole here. And so what this perfecting is, is taking those things Things that are wrong and making them right. They are adjusting the things that are wrong in our lives. He said it's like setting a bone. If I went today and somehow or another I broke a bone and I went down to the to the hospital and I went to the emergency room and I said, Hey, little fella, I broke my bone. I broke my arm. And they said, Okay, well, let me go ahead and set that for you. Um, uh, our mentality would be that he would set the bone that's broken. Am I right, Brother Jody? You would think if my right arm was hanging and it was bloody and I couldn't move it, that'd be the one he would check. But if I was right with my left hand and I was walking with my left and my right foot, he wouldn't be saying, all right, now let me check what's right. Let me make sure your left arm is not broke. No, he would go to what is wrong. And so he says that the reason that God, the reason that Christ gave some apostles and prophets and, and uh, evangelists and pastors and teachers, it, he gave them for a reason. He gave them because there's some times that we're going to need adjustment. Has your parent ever said, boy, you need an attitude adjustment? What that means is they've taken you up out of the water and they've looked at your situation and they've found the problem. And they're finna adjust it. 
They're fixing to perfect your problem. This is a mending of that which is broken or marred. Uh, Paul had something to say about this in 2 Corinthians chapter 13. He says, we are glad when, when we are weak and ye are strong. And this also we wish even your perfection. Paul says, I'm so glad that you've become so mature that when I am weak, you are strong. Because there are times, and Paul admitted that he is weak when he has become fouled, when he has become harmed, when he has become, uh, maybe that he needs an adjustment, but he said the church is, is strong, and so the church can make adjustments to him. And he said when the church is weak, when, when the church needs adjustments. Uh, He is strong, so he can do that, so they can each to one another perfect one another. That's why Christ gave gifts in verse number 11 for the purpose of verse number 12. So these gifts that we find here uh, to the church are to bring us to maturity. The gifts, and, and, and you'll, you'll find a lot of talk amongst certain people about spiritual gifts. And I don't, I don't have an issue with, with spiritual gifts. But a lot of folks, they're gonna be talking about these first two, and they're gonna be talking about apostles and prophets, and both of those are gone today. And I don't have time to get into that, but there are no apostles and there are no prophets today. There are still evangelists, there are still pastors, and there are still uh, teachers. Now, here in our text, I believe pastors and teachers are the same thing. God does not call teachers no more than, and y'all can get mad if you want to, He does not call teachers no more than He calls singers. I believe He gives them a gift. I believe God gives people a gift to teach and He, He places them in positions. But the pastors and teachers, you go to, go to over there to Paul's writings to Timothy and He teaches Timothy that pastors and deacons as well ought to be apt to do some teaching. And so we look at this and these gifts here in verse number 11, uh, we see that these are to bring us to spiritual maturity and the apostles and these uh, prophets, they uh, contributed to the spiritual maturity from this point until now, until the Lord calls us on home. You look back at Luke, where he wrote the book of Acts. He wrote the gospel of Luke. You look at Paul and all of his epistle, James and, and Peter's epistles. You look at John and then Jude. How you think about the evangelists that we know, and we could call name after name. Just a few that you would know. Brother Dwayne Moore, uh, Brother Brian McBride, Brother uh, Mike Bagwell, uh, Brother Dean McNeese, maybe some would remember Brother Milton Taylor. Uh, but then there are pastors and there's teachers uh, that have the primary responsibility uh, in bringing about Christian growth. Understand this today, and I'm not saying this out of ill intent, uh, but understand this today. Uh, as we bring in evangelists, it is wonderful to honor them, and I believe we should. But if you as a church uh, present your yourself to that evangelist as though he is your pastor, then you are doing yourself, you are doing your pastor, and you are doing that evangelist a disservice. 
Because he is here for a period of time and then he is going on. God's called him not to be your pastor. He has not called him to be your your friend. He has not called him to be your confidant. He has not called him to be your source of, of, of information. He has not called him to be. He has called your pastor to be that in your life. And so if the most important preacher in your life is some evangelist that you see once or twice a year, then you've got some problems, Jack. You say, are you mad at our evangelists? No, I love our evangelists. Otherwise, I wouldn't bring them in. But I know this from experience. Because I've put evangelists on such a level that I've looked up to them and overlooked my own pastors. And I've realized my own problem. I've bypassed my pastor in seeking counsel. And I've went to these other men. And then I've ended up causing a problem with my pastors. Here we go. Pastors and teachers have the primary responsibility in bringing about Christian growth. Christ gave the church evangelists. And I call them dump truck preachers. What they do is they back up to the church... And, and, and I don't mean this badly, but they dump up to the church and they dump out their message and then they go on. It's up to the, the pastor to come and do all the grading. It's up to the pastor to come in with a bulldozer and make sure it's, everything's on grade. It's up to the pastor to make sure that every hole is filled in by what the evangelist has said now. Y'all following me? And so, now here's the thing. Here's the thing. There are some evangelists that have been pastors and they understand the heart. And they are very quick to put a halt to certain things. They are very quick to make sure that the pastor is where he needs to be. He is not. I love this about Brother John Dent. I love this about Brother John. When, when, when I came and he left during that interim period, he refused to come back to the church for a period of time because he didn't want people saying, well, Brother Dent, what about this? And in many, Brother, Brother Jody, as many times I said, preach, just come on back. He said, no, they need to know that you are the pastor. Now, now again, I'm not saying this because of anything. This, this is the message I'm getting somewhere in this. God has given us apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. We see a mistake oftentimes in understanding this pastoral role. The pastor has become someone that does the work of ministry instead of maturing others to do it. He gave the church Pastors in verse number 11. But in verse number 12, he says why he gave the church pastors. Why did he give the church pastors? He gave them for the, for the perfecting of the saints. 
He gave them for the work of the ministry and for the edifying of the body of Christ. What does this mean? This is that end result. He says he gives, Christ has given the church a pastor and evangelist, all these things, so that the saints could be perfected, so that the saints can edify other saints, so that the saints can do the work of the ministry. There's a reason. We're still on point number one. The mature Christian has a mission. They are on mission. They are doing something for Christ. Instead of being a participant, there there are a lot of Christians that are spectators. But I want you to know, you can look around this building... You can look around outside the building and you'll see that there are things that need to be done. There, there are things that need to be done. But can I say that if you look beyond the property lines of the church, you'll find that there are ministries that you can be a part of. Just a few moments ago, I told you about one. I told you about the jail ministry that we've been praying about for since 2020. February at least is four years. That's just that's just one. We have a handful of men, and I mean a handful of men that have anything to do, that ask any questions, that provide any any input at all with a lost and found ministry. And we get there and we fellowship with one another and we try to be a blessing to one another, but to the to the men that come in and we try to go out and we try to witness, but nobody seems to care. What are you doing? Man, I'm talking to you. What are you doing? Do you have a mission? Men's Bible study. I studied, I started the men's Bible study at this church for two men. For two men. I can tell you the names. For two men. One of them, when we were doing it and we're starting it again next, next month, one of them rarely came. He was all fired up, but he rarely came. The other one came, but most of the time was so confused, he never paid attention. My question is to you today, what are you doing? Do you ha- if you are a mature Christian, you must have a mission. There's a nursing home ministry. You say, well, I'm not a preacher. We need singing. We need singing, don't we? We need singing, don't we? We'd love to have somebody come, lost and found, the nursing home, Bible study. Ladies, it might be a benefit for you to meet once a month or once a quarter to do a Bible study. Just you ladies. Doesn't have to be, you don't have to have all kinds of fluff to go along with it. Just meet. I don't know, and I'm not telling you to do it. I'm just saying it has something to do for God. Don't do it because the preacher said so. Don't do it just to have something else to do, but do it for God. And I'll go one step further, and I'm trying my best to hurry because I've got something else I need to get to. But you look around, especially lost and found. We've been telling you about that. Everybody knows who's part of that, but I want to make this very clear. I want to make this very clear. And I wrote it down so so I could say it right. It doesn't mean that the ones taking part in these events are perfect. 
But it does mean that they want others to be. And it does mean that they're working on their own maturity. Now, some may like that and some may not. And that's okay. I'm not going to argue over it. It's right whether you like it or not. It doesn't mean that we're perfect. But it means that we're at least working on it. I wonder what are you doing? Mature believers see their mission in life as doing the work of the ministry. They're reaching out to others with the love and with the gospel. Now, to tithe is essential. To give over your tithe is something necessary. To offer your time is something that's needed. But I I have to give you this today. Do you understand that when you go to public school and when you work a secular job, you're giving the world, and I'm not ridiculing you, but you're giving the world from, from 35 to, let's just keep it, to keep it from 9 to 5, 8 to 5, you're giving the world from 35 to, at the very least, 40 hours of your day. But you struggle to give God more than 3 or 4 hours a week. You think about that for a minute. You kids are going to, going to school from, from 7 or 8 o'clock in the morning until 3 o'clock in the afternoon. That's 35 hours a, a week. You adults are working 45, 40 at least hours a week. But what are we doing? We get into church and we're, we're fiddling. We're trying our best to get out. We come in late. We don't come to Sunday school because we got things better or because our favorite teacher is not teaching that week. Oh, did he really say that? Yeah, he did. What are we doing? If we're, if we're gonna, I've heard this all my adult life. If we're gonna, somebody says, well, I don't have much money to give, so I'll just tithe my time. Okay. Okay, let's, let's just, let's just do some quick math. That means in a week's time, you need to be given 16.8 hours of your time to the church to give back to God. What do you do? Number two, we're still in verse number 12. The mature Christian builds up other believers. You said, preacher, you're not building us up. Sometimes you've got to tear stuff down before you can build it up. The mature Christian builds up other believers. The Bible says this in verse number 12. For the edifying of the body of Christ. The edifying is to build up or to help along. It's the, it's the act of one who promotes another's growth in Christian wisdom, happiness, and holiness. Now we know that Christ is the head of the church. And we know according to Scripture that each believer is a member of that body. So I ask you today, what are you doing in the body of Christ? Are you caring for the body that's sick? James chapter 1 verse 27, and and I'm going to get to this in our study in James, so I don't want to spend a lot of time here. But there's two verses that I'll mention. The Bible says in James 1.27, Pure religion and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from the world. You want to know what you could do? 
You can go visit the fatherless. You can go visit the widows. You can pray for the sick. James 5.16, confess your faults one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. You can care for the physical needs of the body. Romans 15.26 says this, For it hath pleased them of Macedonia and Achaia to make certain contribution for the poor saints which are at Jerusalem. So you can care for the physical needs by helping financially. By helping with groceries, by helping with this, by that, whatever it may mean. Now, I'm going to say something. Y'all hang on to that. Hang on to that. Paul said this, that, that those churches in Macedonia and Achaia, he said that it pleased them to make contributions to the poor saints. But here's what's happened. Too long families have forgotten their own. And we've left it to social agencies. We've left it to everyone else. Sons have forgotten their mamas and their daddies. Daughters have forgotten their parents. We've forgotten one another. The churches have forgotten their people. But here's here's the kicker, and I'm going to say this as pastor. Sometimes it's hard for the church to help. Because for whatever reason, I don't know if it's just the South or it's just people. People are too private. Maybe they're too prideful. They don't want anybody to know that they need help. Can't help if we don't know you need help. So you say, well, nobody's ever helped me. I believe Scripture tells us that we need to help one another. We need to build one another up. We need to promote the growth of one another. But if we don't know what each other are going through because we're so private, it's very difficult to help. You can help with the spiritual needs. Be a peacemaker. Live and teach the Scriptures. Then I'll say this last very quickly. Be thinking about a song of invitation. The mature Christian has a Bible basis for every belief. Now, this is going to cause some questions. I, I could probably count on two hands some things that, that society has accepted as the norm. It's crept into the church. It's crept into our young folks. I've been asked about it. And they're saying, the Bible doesn't say anything about this. Is it right or it's wrong? Here's my first question out of the gate without even knowing what the question is. If you have to ask, let's just count it up as wrong. Let's, let's just start right there. If, you're, if, if it even vaguely resembles the world, let's just say that God's against it. I mean, it even just kind of halfway smells like the world. Let's say God's against. Well, the Bible doesn't say thou shalt not fill in the blank. That's part of being mature. 
I knew, I knew, I knew before I ever had my first youngin that it wasn't a good idea to put that youngin on top of a hot stove. And I didn't consider myself overly smart then or now. There's some things, Brother Jody, you know. Some things you learn by experience. Some things, you see, here's, here's the deal. Here's the deal. Y'all listen to me. Some things the Holy Spirit tells you that are wrong. And one reason why you're struggling so much trying to find out if it's right or if it's wrong is because that Holy Spirit's already told you and you've got a rebellious spirit and they're punching one another like this. What might need to happen is you need to hit the ground somewhere and you need to say, God, I'm sorry. I'm going to absolutely let you have it. And quit trying to justify the sin in your life. Now, back to the message. The mature Christian has a Bible basis for every belief. He says that in verse number 14... He says that we, henceforth, he's given us these gifts. He's given us these men. He's, he's told us why. But verse 14 says that we henceforth be no more children. How do you not be a children, a child? You have to mature. You have to grow. Tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and the cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive. He says you're no more children. Tossed to and fro. That's the end result. The mature Christian has a Bible basis for every belief. It'd be wonderful if every pastor in, in the world could stand up and say, every person in my church from the pulpit to the very front, back door, whatever, has, has reached spiritual maturity. But as long as every person from the pulpit to the back is breathing air, there's going to be a need for spiritual maturity preaching. There's just going to be a need for it. But a mature Christian, they're no longer snared. They're no longer attached by false teachings. I'm amazed. I'm absolutely amazed by men and by women who have, who have read, who have, by their own testimony, have studied the Word of God. And they, and they say, I listen, I watch preaching all day long. And when you get down to the nitty gritty and they, they start telling you what they believe, they have been watching false teachers. And they've been reading false things. I, I, I could tell you about a man that I visited some months ago and he was talking about all these spiritual gifts that he has and how he's got the gift of prophecy and he can see what's coming. And I'd done everything I could do not to call the loony bin. Because that's not in my King James Bible. They're sound in their doctrine. They're settled in their doctrine. Doctrine is just a fancy word for teaching or instruction. I, I, I wonder, are you settled in what you believe? Are you, are you settled in the church, the doctrine of the church, the doctrine of 
God the Father, the Son, the Holy Ghost? Are you settled in the doctrine of salvation, in the, in the doctrine of prayer, in the doctrine of repentance, in the doctrine of regeneration, in the doctrine of justification? Are you settled in the doctrine of faith? Are you, are you, in, are you settled on what you believe? Maturity in the Word of God brings maturity in life. If you want to be more mature, you're going to have to get in God's Word. We can come with this song of invitation. And I, I want to I I say a couple of things and I want to ask you a question. And I mean this from the bottom of my heart. But I want to ask you, if you will... To take this time during invitation to truly examine yourself for these marks of maturity. Do you, do you have a mission? Do you have a Bible basis? Are you building up others or are you tearing them down? Are you doing nothing for God or are you doing something for God? Do you believe everything everyone says or or are there there red flags being thrown up? You see, red flags are good in your Christian life. The Scripture tells us to try to to test the spirits. We We don't want to be blown around with every wind of doctrine. And if we're planted and we're 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 on the solid rock, which is Christ then when we're blown around, there's a, there's a pullback. There's something that says, that ain't right. And if you're just blown around to the left or blown around to the right every time someone new comes by, then you need to get settled. In, in, in what area? Maybe I didn't even talk about it today, but, but in what area needs the greatest growth in your life? Maybe it's, I don't know that anybody here goes any bad places. I haven't heard about it. If, if you do, I hope you don't. If you don't, stop it. But maybe it's what you do. Maybe it's what you listen to. Places that you go. Maybe it's the words that you say. Maybe it's the way you mean your words. Maybe it's things that you do in private. Maybe it's thoughts that you're having. Maybe it's the intents of your heart. Maybe it's the lust of the flesh. Maybe it's things that you're not doing. Maybe it's that it's you're not praying. That you're not reading your Bible. Maybe it's that you're being forced out of obligation to come to church. Let me ask this final question. How can I help you? I could ask every one of you individually, and and my guess is individually that would be the majority of people would say, Preacher, I'm good. But I'm going to ask you collectively today, if I can help you, if I can pray for you, if I can try to, to edify you and build you up and help you grow. While they sing, will you just meet me in this altar? Let's grow together. Let's 